0: This is CHUO 89.1 FM. Welcome to this week's episode of The Mosaic, your weekly show highlighting the voices of the community. Here, we guide you through today's social issues, introduce you to changemakers, and keep in touch with the arts, music, and events of the city. You can expect extensive research, in-depth analysis, and discussion. From CHUO's news team, this is The Mosaic. Today, we look into the implications of Argentina's recent election of President Javier Malay. And James Brennan returns with another episode of Point of Skew to discuss how the owners of media companies can indicate certain biases. Stick around. I'm Lauren Rolston, and we've got all that and more coming up on The Mosaic. November saw the election of a new president in Argentina. He brought with him a myriad of intense plans for economic reform. Many are anxiously watching the political scene of the South American country. Arya Gunday brings us more.
1: Do you remember how cheap groceries used to be? Over the years, inflation has made the cost of living a challenge for Canadians. Now imagine that inflation and hyperspeed. Prices set on groceries in the morning can increase by the end of the day. That is the reality for more than 45 million people in Argentina who live under hyperinflation. Last month, the country elected self-proclaimed anarcho-capitalist Javier Milei as president, hoping to initiate a change in the nation's economy. Malay is the latest installment in the trend of right-wing populist leaders emerging around the
2: world. As, as happened in other, in other parts of the world and in Latin America in the last years, people started reclaiming against the political class, thinking that that it was a fault of all the political class and the economic situation was very bad. We, ha- we have a very high inflation of 150% in a year or so. Yeah. All this situation created a very a big opportunity for an outsider, as Javier Millet, that is an economist, that endorsed some far right conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So, but he had a very big opportunity that he he used it very it very well as an outsider to promote his his ideas on that environment. That was
1: Ariel Goldstein, a researcher at the University of Buenos Aires in Argentina. But how did Argentina, a country that was once top 10 globally for wealth per capita, get into such a position in the first place? It started in 1945 after the end of the second world war argentina had elected president juan peron he ushered in a new generation of economic reforms he decided that international trade was too risky focusing instead on growing domestic industries for domestic markets this idea led to argentina lagging in the global economic race
2: peronism has governed 16 of the last 20 years in argentina And it's a powerful uh, structure uh, in Argentinian politics. It has been like that since uh, 1945. In the contemporary
1: age, Argentina has been subject to more economic mismanagement.
3: In the 1990s, we'll say, okay, we're going to create a new currency and call it the peso, the Argentinian peso. And we're going to fix it one-to-one to to the dollar. Mm -hmm. For one peso, one dollar. Except that for every new peso that I print, I have to have one dollar in reserves. Right, so I opened up the economy so I can begin to export and and get get fresh cash from that, or negotiate with private parties for for new investment, uh, new investment concerns coming in, and also credit lines with the likes of the IMF and other multilateral organizations. And the levels of debt got so high that they had to renegotiate a big package with 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 the IMF and get all kinds of support. And this was like a Titanic waiting to happen. And so when the boat sank. The peso devalued and it went from one to three and then to four and then to 30 and then to 40. And today is at 600. (laughs) In the black market rate, it's gotten up to a thousand.
1: That was Roberto Salinas León, the Atlas Network Director for the Center of Latin America. Argentina has become the biggest debtor to the IMF. Goldstein breaks down how this has affected the country. The IMF started
2: to dictate the Argentine economic policy. And that generated resistance, that is the situation with the IMF. Okay. But I think it is severely restricted the, the capabilities of the state to elaborate uh, you know an autonomous economic policy. Citizens are looking at Javier Milei as a beacon of hope
1: to bring Argentina back to its heyday. However, some are skeptical of a sudden rise in libertarian platforms, speculating that foreign interests might have something to do with it. Salinas León's Atlas Network is at the center of this controversy. An article in The Intercept linked the network to the Koch brothers and other capitalist interests. Salinas León wants to set the record
3: straight. Atlas Network is a nonprofit organization that helps think tanks around the world through a network of partnerships, which is approximately about 550 institutions all around the world that promote uh, the values of a free society and liberal democracy. And uh, Atlas helps through uh, grants that are secured through private uh private parties and and private sources in the United States and and the world, uh, the world abroad. They're not they're by by no means George Soros grants that also I'd love to see an intercept story on, on the influence of George Soros throughout all these populist countries. On the way he supported Venezuela and and, and other autocracies. It sounds sexy to say that the Koch brothers are financing a multi million dollar enterprise, blah, blah, blah. The Koch brothers have given less than $100,000 over the course of 20 years to Mm -hmm. Atlas. And it was for a completely
1: separate project, it was not Latin America. However, when asked about the network's to Millet, Salinas Leon said this:
3: Individuals uh, that have been close to Atlas Network have been mentors and very influential in the rise. At first, the rise as a public intellectual of Javier Millet, and uh, eventually supported the the formation of a policy framework from the point of view of ideas yeah. of some of the proposals that are being advanced in his uh, in his agenda. Uh, it was quite a surprise to us that uh, that uh, Millet, uh rose so sharply mm-hmm. and, and certainly a surprise to us that he actually won the presidency.
1: Both Goldstein and Selinas León understand that the near future for Argentina is difficult. The country has a 40% poverty rate and is about to go under major shock therapy with Malay.
2: If he doesn't attend the social poverty that exists today in Argentina, well, maybe he will have on the streets very huge crowds of people reclaiming, pretending um, to destroy everything. <laughs>
3: I think he has enough political capital and enough of a national mandate for one year. And he has to be very pragmatic and with his foot on the ground. And he's no longer in the world of textbooks and the world of conferences and in the world of uh, Twitter and conversations. Uh, He's now in the world of let's get it done. And he's got he's got to learn to listen to other points of view and not stick to a preconceived idea of this is what I learned in the textbook and this is the way it's going to be, and yeah. and the hell with everything else. That 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 that's a disaster waiting to happen. And and that will it that will eventually pave the way for the return of peronism.
1: People are looking ahead though. One of Malay's biggest voting blocks was young people under the age of thirty.
2: Young people like to 16 to 25. Most of their lives, they have experienced that kind of center-left peronism that they identify with the status quo because it's the only thing they know, probably. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they have experienced uh, a country that doesn't grow economically, that has uh, high inflation. At the same time, Millet has made a very interesting and intelligent campaign on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. So people young people get got very attractive by, by his proposals. Selena's Leon sees massive potential in the youth.
3: There's an enormous amount of talent. One thing that Argentina has is human capital. In fact, one of the tragedies of Argentina is that that human capital is working in Miami or working here in Mexico or working in Europe. And you see them all over the place. Mm-hmm. In fact, even in Argentina, Argentina has become a leader in so-called unicorns. It's an enormously, yeah. enormously innovative country. Yeah. So I see it. I see it as a as a as a um, incubator of new technologies of technological development. And I do see the possibility of an agro-industrial concerns, for instance, mm-hmm. in oil and gas, in in, in manufacturing. I think it could quickly develop a very diversified economy.
1: Only time can tell what happens next for Argentina. The country is situated to face its most important changes in the coming years. For more information on what Malay means for the country, head to chuo.fm and click on the news tab. For CHUO, I'm Arya Gunde.
0: And now James Brennan brings the second episode of Point of Skew, highlighting points of bias in today's news coverage. Today he dives into the influence of a media outlet's ownership.
4: Hello, and welcome back to Point of Skew. I'm James Brennan, and today we're continuing the analysis of the journalism industry and how it's no longer the same one our parents grew up with, where our sources of media have misinformation and skew. Today's episode will concern how a journal's own founding and leadership can impact the content they cover and the stance they take when it comes to an issue that they see aligns with their goals. The hope for this show is that with an understanding of tricks of syntax, punctuation, and word choice, We may be able to identify misinformation and take on a trust but verify stance when it comes to consuming media. All of this in an age where it seems as though there are more journals and journalists than ever before. On that point, let's move forward with understanding tricks and workings of different articles and journals. On the last episode of Point of Skew, we showed how picking certain sources can inherently show bias and ultimately skew a story when only one side is given. Choosing sources that are directly involved in the event the journalist is covering can be important for understanding, but a slippery slope when it's the only source for the -the on-the-ground coverage. Word choice was also a major theme of last week's discussion. We saw how words with negative connotations can be used to instill adversarial emotions towards a group or event. These themes will recur in more articles and we'll cover on the show, revealing how these simple tricks can be used in different ways to have certain effects on readers. Today's media economy is based on a bottom line and journals are possibly one of the most hardest hit by this, as they're meant to be the system to check the current governing body and hold them accountable to those who elected them. This system of checks and balances is a pillar of democracy, as we know it, and should this responsibility be clouded by profits, a major portion of a functioning society falls to the wayside. Yet, this should move people to take being informed as their own responsibility even going as far to question and verify information seen on social media and other forms of media. These articles come to us from the Epoch Times and the Associated Press, concerning the recent elections in Hong Kong and how voter turnout was much less than expected and was seen as a silent protest against Beijing's limitations on civil liberties within the region. For some context on the event, we can go back to the long string of protests in Hong Kong as a means of resisting Chinese influence in the region. Back in 2019, we witnessed some of the largest protests ever seen to oppose the Beijing-endorsed legislative protocol that would allow extraditions to mainland China. This conflict has its roots in the aftermath of colonialism, as the island long stayed under British control until 1977. China, having been an established power at the time, agreed to these conditions, which included 50 years of considerable political autonomy for the island and a quote, one country, two systems approach. As China has become more and more a political player in the region, it sees the island as theirs, and as those 50 years slowly near their end, have been working to change the unique area into a resemblance of mainland China, which has caused much political discourse and public pushback from the residents of Hong Kong. Fast forward to the past couple weeks, where Hong Kong was scheduled for its district council elections, but a recent Beijing-backed law restricted many pro-democracy candidates from running. This recent development leads us to the two articles and news outlets that have decided to cover the ongoing story. One is the Associated Press, which has long been known for its high factuality ratings and is one of the more well-known independent news outlets that is free from government or corporate interests and has disclosed that their main source of funding comes from revenue generated from licensing their content across different platforms. The other outlet being looked at today is the Epoch Times, which has been the topic of discussion concerning different means of funding and affiliation. The Epoch Times has a low factuality rating and is seen as a more right-leaning outlet, but the most talked about aspect of this outlet is their affiliation with the Falun Gong religious movement. Now explain the Falun Gong is a massive undertaking, but they originate in the early 90s as a means of re-establishing traditional practices within socialist China and have constantly been in a struggle with the Chinese government. This is culminated into a right-leaning and self-described anti-socialist and anti-communist group that seeks to squash any semblance of far-left governance. They believe communism, quote, teaches atheism, materialism, and a philosophy of struggle, end quote, while also that, quote, traditional culture uplifts humanity by pointing towards God, end quote, as mentioned in a 2020 article around the time of the American presidential election. The Epoch Times is an extension of this belief, and given the breadth of their coverage, which includes writing in over 22 languages and in 36 countries, gives them quite a significant weight. Yet, at the same time, the outlet has frequently come under fire for many misleading articles and for spreading disinformation while consistently backing anti-communist, anti-China, and pro-religion narratives. Understanding the reach and movement of the Epoch Times now brings in the article concerning the elections, and based off the explanation so far, it's easy to see how the Epoch Times will side in this discussion, due to their inherent bias. Looking at their headline for this article, quote, Voter turnout hits historic low after pro-CCP changes to Hong Kong's electoral system, end quote. Right off the bat, we're able to see the mention of the Chinese Communist Party, which asserts their position by associating it with a negative connotation. Now the topic of an electoral system is a buzzword that almost inherently raises attention just by its connotation of being one of the main pillars of democracy and any change to said system could be seen as negative. With this understanding in association with the headline having quote pro-CCP inherently raises eyebrows among those living within a democracy. The Associated Press also has a rather interesting headline quote Hong Kong leader praises election turnout as voter numbers hit record low end quote. This headline is intriguing and affirms the stance of the article as the mention of the leaders praising low election turnout is rather odd, especially considering that back home in Canada recent elections have seen shockingly low numbers. This hooks the reader as it inverts a common understanding of something that is rather disappointing. Yet the circumstances, as one would see as they read the article, begin to make sense. The amendment that both these articles discuss is that most elected seats on local district councils have been eliminated, which was the last major governing body chosen by the public. This in addition to a change in candidate requirements that now needs at least nine members of government-appointed committees to sign off on candidates. However, the majority of these committees are Beijing loyalists, giving pro-democracy candidates a harder time securing endorsements, meaning that less are able to run. When reading the Epoch Times' article, there is an odd feeling to it. The earlier sections of the article consist of four interviews and let the interviews have a very odd format. It appears that the quotes are cut up and the article takes many liberties to fill in the gaps. This isn't anything new within journalism, but the article fills in more than the portions that are quotes. Almost as though the common practice of filling in the missing information from an interview is reversed, where the filler is in the spotlight and what the interviewee actually said is secondary. The flow of the interview is also a point to be raised, as it feels as though they align themselves a little too closely with what we know about the Epoch Times. Yet again, there is also the issue of how there are no links within the article that either support the claims made, or enable the reader to further understand the story should they wish to know more. Alongside this, there is not much to back up the information in the article. And something that really stands out is how there is an illustration of a graph meant to depict the numbers of voters in Hong Kong elections dating from 1982 to 2023. This seems like something you would rather expect to see considering the subject, but upon closer examination you can see how there is no source for the data depicted. The only mention of the graph's creation comes from its subheading where it mentions that the illustration is by the Epoch Times. I find this in association with the odd feeling interviews be something that makes you take a second look at the article, as no source is given to where the Epoch Times gathered the data, and the journal takes many liberties with the contrived feeling interviews. If we were to compare this to the Associated Press's article, which is rather shortened to the point, it does not take an apparent stance on the issue, and even with it being a relatively short article considering the amount of information, they do answer the age-old questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how. A point within this article that is rather interesting and absent from the Epoch Times' article is the actual responsibilities of this district council, which pertain to organizing construction projects and public facilities. This point is rather important, and somebody who isn't from Hong Kong would not be able to inherently understand the political workings of the area, but thanks to the inclusion of this information, we can truly see how this aspect can be truly impactful to daily life within the city, and why there would be such a low turnout in protest to the changes. However, the same issue arises in regards to sources for statistics. Even though the numbers are corroborated by other articles and sources, but having them linked within the article is always a good thing to have. The articles covered this week are less of a comparison between each other and more of a comparison between the news outlets they originate from. On the one hand, there is an independent journal that sources most of its funding from licensing its articles, is highly factual, and is seen as a trustworthy source within reason. And yet, on the other hand, there is a journal that has been known to blur the lines between factual reporting and reporting with ulterior motives. The Epoch Times is a known source for misinformation and making many liberties in how they cover news. This is less about how an article can be used independently to skew a story, but more how there can be inherent skew in a news outlet as a whole. This worrisome realization should compel us all to take a second look at what we first perceive as fact, to take a step back and play journalist ourselves. Only by truly taking this to heart may we fight the illness of misinformation that has caused so many issues in recent years and it is up to us to break the cycle and stop any design skew from tearing the world in two. This has been, and will continue to be, Point of Skew. I'm James Brennan, and thank you for listening.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of The Mosaic. Thanks so much for tuning in. Music for The Mosaic is by Halizna. To listen to this episode and previous ones, go to chuo.fm slash podcasts. If you're interested in joining our news team, email news at c2o.fm. We'll see you next week, Thursday at 1 p.m.